Welcome back to the Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. And as always, we're here for another week as we have another guest on the show. And today we're inviting right, right back again uh, for the third, fourth time? I yeah. don't remember. Third. We did the Shining. We and did then we did 2001. 2001. <laughs> yeah. And then we did... We're doing now. This is the third time, yeah. Third no, time, yeah. This is the third for the third time. Uh, Pat G, Pat G, Pat Pitt. G. Uh, Pat G bro. <laughs> Patty G, Patricio. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing I can't very look good. at your face, bro. I can't look at your face without wanting to just start laughing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing good, just ready to graduate. Oh, I got my vaccine shot today. My first, yeah, bro. One. Oh, you got the first dose today, yeah. When's the next dose? Um, that's a good question. Sometime early May, I believe. Okay. It better not be May 21st to the 23rd. No, I don't have yeah. anything. I think I, I need to put that in my calendar, but I don't have anything scheduled. Then. All right. Yeah, I got my first dose in March. So I'm going to get okay. my second dose um, in on Friday, actually. On Friday. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What? Which one did you get? Do you know? Bro, I'm all about that Moderna Mafia, bro. Yeah. Moderna Mafia. What yeah, I got, Fi- I got Pfizer. Damn, bro. Well, that's that's too bad, bro. That's too bad. <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, what's going on, dude? How you doing? Good. Just getting ready to graduate. Um, yeah. Taking a lot of pics. Uh, you saw my little. Um, my new project, my self-portrait project, yeah. I'm working yeah. on it, um, and just trying to get myself out there as an artist. And I really haven't been watching a whole lot of movies, so it was nice to watch this. Um, and then I'm also in a Mexican, uh, the the Latin. I, pre- I don't know like the proper name for it, but it's it's Mexican director class, and it's over Cuadron, um, oh, the, the, the three amigos. Yeah, yeah, the three amigos. And yeah. so uh we finished Del Toro first? No, we did Inaritu. Am I saying that right? In Inya. Inyaritu. Inyaritu. And yeah. then um right it's now we're Alejandro, bro. It's probably easy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh and then we're doing Quadron right now, but I'm behind. I need to watch and read soon. The first yeah, one's uh Itu Mama Tambien. Oh, one of my favorite movies of all time, bro. Yeah. One of my favorites of all time. You know, I think I'm going to watch, I think I'm going to watch it, uh, Thursday night with Kelvin. Kelvin has the criterion for it. Yeah. I have the criterion. It's on my shelf too. Yeah, man. That movie is beautiful, dude. I love that movie, but, uh, Hey, I've been talking about Inaritu. Thank you guys so much for the uh, love on the last episode. Wow. Y'all showed up for the love on that one. Uh, we talked about uh, Amores Perros. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. But guess what? It's just as much fun to have Pat back. Patrick, mm-hmm. Patrick, for those of you, for those of them who are new, because this isn't season one anymore. We're in season two. Mm-hmm. We're in season mm-hmm. two, bro. You want to let them know who you are? Yes, sir. Uh, so I'm I'm Pat Grady. Uh, I reside in Houston, Texas. I knew I met Raul through uh, film classes at UH. And uh my main thing is photography right now, but I love film, so 
I'm always exploring and learning about film, but yeah. uh, one day I hope to be directing and shooting and uh, being a part of, of some films, um, planning a couple films, but haven't made anything that I'm like super happy with yet. But one day I'll be, I'll be creating some good stuff. I'm sure as I figure out myself in this world and what I want to create. Yeah. Uh, Patrick is actually helping me on before I leave. He's on, as a, as a, my gaffer, as my handy gaffer. And uh, Patrick is also the DP of And the New God and the Neon Gods. Mm -hmm. uh, that's possibly shooting next year. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to try to probably shoot like, uh, probably around this time, like April, April, May. Next year. Uh, yeah, like springtime would be really nice because it won't be super hot, but it'll still be hot enough because it's going to be in the desert. And we don't want it to be winter because it was funny when we went and location scouted, we went during winter break and it was snowing. Ooh. And so I, I have some interesting pictures of like cactus in the desert, but it's snow. So it's like, yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird combo. Yeah. Well, um, either way, man, um, you know, Pat, Patrick's one of my best friends. He, I love the man. I let's call it since the first day I met him, we just clicked and we hung out and we just kept on hanging out. He's uh he's been to my my grandmother's house. He's been over to my house. We, he's worked on a film with me now, and you know he's a guy who I brought on last season. He's one of my best friends in the world, and I love him a lot. And uh, you know I get to see him soon next month. So uh, yep. yeah, yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah. But um, Patrick, uh, if you remember last season, y'all, Patrick actually picked um, a trilogy. And we are here to start our run through the trilogy. So you might think, wait, does that mean like Pat comes back in like three or four weeks or six weeks or two months and he has to um, do the next one? No, Pat picked the trilogy. So he has to be here for not just this week, back back. but the following week and uh -huh. then the next week. And then the week that follows that one, because yep. we're going through all three films together. Um, mm -hmm. Doing back to back to back, and that was the uh, consensus of what he would choose the three colors trilogy for. But mm -hmm. yes, um, yeah, man, I just uh, I'm glad to have you back. Uh, it's been it's season two has been going strong, man. We've had some yeah. really good stuff before this. Uh, yeah, you know, I say that, but I know that you don't listen to the show, so you know whatever. <laughs> but like, yeah, <laughs> I need to. I've been listening to a lot more podcasts recently. I've been listening to a lot of photographers talk. Yeah. Um, I need to get in some, into some more movie podcasts, but yeah, I guess I can start off with this one. Yeah, dude. I mean, you've been on the show, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can say that at least you've been on here multiple times now, mm -hmm. but um, you know what, bro? I'm glad they're here. We're going to be, so Brad, Brad, uh, Patrick chose mm -hmm. the three colors trilogy from Christoph Grzyzowski. And um, that means we are going to be covering blue today. We cover white next week, and then we cover, um, and then we cover red the week after that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we've never talked about Christoph before, and on here. So I actually I have to introduce you all to Christoph Kuzowski. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna love introducing him because I want to talk just about like what's it called our first, you know what's it called the uh, oh wait, that wasn't your first right? You had watched the three colors way before you watched. Uh, a short film about love, right? I th think I had, yes. Okay. I don't think I had seen Red yet, but I think I had 
Oh, no, I think I had only seen blue. Really? I don't okay. even think I'd seen white. But so, yeah, it wasn't my first, but. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into this, though. So let me introduce you all to the director known as, the filmmaker known as Gristo Kieslowski. Kieslowski. I don't know how to really say I'm not Polish myself. I don't know. I don't know Polish. So I, I don't know how to speak Polak. So um, let's go again and, and talk about him. Uh, Polish film director born no, June 27th, 1941 and died March 13th, 1996. He moved around a lot as a young child because his father was a tuberculosis patient. So he had to move around wherever he could find treatment for tuberculosis. At 16, he attended a firefighter's training school, but dropped out after a few months. He originally wanted to become a theater director and went to a school run, run by a relative of his, but could not continue because his, he did not have a bachelor's degree in theater. So instead, he opted out to study film, which he saw as an immediate uh, step. He left college and applied to Lodz. But Lodz in, uh, in Poland, but was rejected twice. And since he did not want to do military service, he became an art student. But uh, while he was an art student, he still could not, you know, what's it called? What's it called? Opt out of military service. So he forcibly, he's forcefully, he forcefully, what's it called? Um, made himself medically unfit to join the military. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he um, he decided just to get as medically unfit as possible for service. Did he break his own leg or what? I'm guessing he just tried to like not eat much and like. Yeah, you know, maybe he just made himself too skinny or malnourished. Yeah. Dang. But, uh, on the third attempt in 1964, he was accepted into Lord's uh, Lord's directing program. He attended until 1968 and lost interest in theater. So he began an interest in documentary filmmaking. His early work are all pretty much documentaries with, um, what's it called? They came off as very political, even though he has said himself as he didn't intend them to be as political as they were. But because of that, he was met with a lot of problems as a documentarian with the government and those around him. Uh, what's it called? Uh, looking at him different because of his political stances within the films. So um, he decided to move on to fictional narrative filmmaking to depict the truth of life. He would go on to create several films like per per Personnel and Camera Buff. And in 1998, he released the Decalogue, ten, that are 10 short films um, based on the Ten Commandments in the Bible. And he, from those 10 short films, he creates uh, two, two narrative films, two narrative feature films. Uh, one of them called the short film by Lo about love and another one called the short film about killing. He was supposed to make another one called a short film about jealousy, but he, uh, he was exhausted and he didn't feel like he want wanted to continue on with the work. So uh, his commercial success after Decalogue allowed him to gain funding from France to work on his last four films, the double life of Veronique and the three colors trilogy, which we are discussing these following weeks. He retired in 1994 from filmmaking after the premiere of Red uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, and he was uh, he has he is a um, he has won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival and the Silver Bear for the for best directing at the Berlin International Film Festival, and he is a three-time Academy Award nominee. 
At the time of his death, uh, during open heart surgery, after suffering a heart attack, he was working on a new trilogy, looking at heaven and hell, heaven, hell, and purgatory. That was what the trilogy was going to be called, based on Dante's uh, Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. But uh, he could not complete the work because he died. And later, those films were completed by three different directors and uh, different screenwriters. So that's wow, so. Yeah. How, how did he pass away? Do you know, he was only like 50. he got a heart attack, and they were doing a uh, open heart surgery, and he just died during surgery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then who ended up doing those films? Three different uh, directors, I believe. They're not even Polish, dude. I think they were like, what's it called? Uh, one was Bosnian, and then one was Russian, I think. Um, I can search up for you, but yeah, what's it called? Um, he was going to do those three films, and um, two of them follow the trilogy, but the mm -hmm. last one is not canon in a way, but it's still the movie that was made but it wasn't what's it called a uh, canon post to, to say um so the first one heaven was done by tom tykwer in 2002 he's german filmmaker mm -hmm. hell was done by danny danny tonovic who is the bosnian filmmaker and then hope was done by um Stanislaw Mucha in 2007, but that one doesn't even have a, he doesn't even have a freaking, what's it called? Um, Wikipedia page. He's a German Polish drama uh, director, German yeah. Polish film. And um, yeah, this one, this one was the one that's like not in Canon, but it kind of is, but it's kind of not. Um, were they written by the guy that Kieslowski uh, worked with? with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the okay, scripts, cool. all the scripts were worked were were, were written by uh, Christoph Bezwis. Yeah, I'm not gonna try that. Yeah, whatever <laughs> his name was, whatever his name mm -hmm. was. Um, none, I don't know how to pronounce them, but um, yeah, he, he worked on those films with them. Okay. Yeah, man. Uh, I so Brad. Brad, why do I want to keep calling you Brad? Is it because you're white? I don't think so. <laughs> But um, yeah, my other friend Brad, who does the podcast with me, I guess I'm just missing him today. Um, <laughs> uh, I first watched a movie from Krzysztof Krzyzowski when we were in our film theory class. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about surrealism. Well, not surrealism. I don't think it was that. Um, it was voyeurism. Think, voyeurism, yes. Voyeurism. And we watched a short film about love. Um, mm -hmm. I loved it. I love that film. I, I, it's still one of my favorites of all time. I, I have it mm -hmm. high up on my list, but, um, yeah. you know, I was just the whole time I was just like, man, this is really interesting. But everybody in our class is like, this movie's kind of weird. And I'm like, this is weird to y'all. Like, like I've seen some <laughs> really weird shit, dude. I have to watch Sallow because they got me, they gave me money to watch Sallow. So like, what is that? I don't know what Sallow is. Sallow is? Uh, Sallow or the 120 Days of Sodom. Just search that okay. up on your computer right now. Okay. Just read, read the, um, read okay. the what's it called? It's a Pasolini movie. Yeah. Uh, 100 Days of Sodom? 120 Days of Sodom. Yeah. But um, yeah, and everybody was just like, this movie's kind of weird. Like, I don't know if I like it. But I was like, I was really into it. And um and then Pat after we watched it Pat was like this is the guy who did um 
is the guy who did the three color trilogy. I was like, I've never seen the three color trilogy. And then of course, Pat started talking with Dr. Carrera and we were, he was going on about how like he loved the three color trilogy and how, especially red. He was like, yeah, red is just incredible. He mm, said, oh, red, yeah, I remember yeah. he says, red is red is, I remember him saying red is magical. It's, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a surreal experience. And I'm like, yeah, man. Uh, I was like, I was interested, but I mean, of course, Pat, you know how my schedule is bad, bro. Like I have to watch yeah. a lot of movies for reviews and I have to do a crap ton of stuff. So like, I don't get to watch movies unless like they're for content or I really, really want to seek them out. Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. recently, and like the world of one car, why said wasn't, was for content and I watched them all, but like those would have been <laughs> ones that would have sat down to watch, but um, it's just easier for me to catch up on films when they're for content. But um, did you search up what, what the, what Salo was? Yeah, so I'm reading and it says, Yeah, it's uh, the film focuses on four wealthy, corrupt Italian libertines in the time of fascist republic of yeah. Salo. Libertines kidnap 18 teenagers and subject them to four months of extreme violence, sadism, and sexual and psychological torture. Yeah, yeah, I have to watch that. Have fun. Thank because we reached the goal for the funding of the film. Well, you uh, you like climax and you like Fellini, and so you like confusion and. I like confusion, but I don't like to see things. people. But I don't like to see people <laughs> eat. Dude, I like confusion and sex, but I don't like seeing people eat shit. Uh. Yeah, but uh, you know what? After I watch the film, I will be able to email Doctor Carrera and say, Professor. I finally watched Sallow mm -hmm. and give my thoughts. But um, look, man. Um, but yeah, which one did you first watch from uh, Grizov? Uh, like what was the first movie I've seen by him? Yeah. Was it blue? I think, I think it was three colors blue. Yeah. Um, and that was really nice for me because I've always enjoyed like romance movies, mm -hmm. um, especially when they're more, artsy like i think i grew up and liked like kind of coming of age romance movies that had more like artsy characters in it as opposed to like um as opposed to like you know cheerleader football jock stuff like that and so to see like one that's fairly serious mm -hmm. um and be so stylized too i love i love I love when color is like heavily involved in a film. Yeah. And so obviously the three, the three uh, movies are based off of these three colors. And so I think just on a surface level, it was appealing, but then seeing it, it was so beautiful yeah. um, and, and poetic. I've been, I've watched a few like uh, video essays and stuff over it. And everybody keeps repeating yeah. how, how poetic the film is. Yeah. I, I, I still want to watch a short film about killing because I believe so. Uh, one of the things that is just so interesting about Christoph is just the, the political effect that a lot of his films have. And uh, mm -hmm. a short film about killing was one of the films that really, uh, what's it called? Uh, really influenced Poland to, um, to outlaw the death penalty. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I want to watch the short film about killing, but I also do want to watch what's it called, um, uh, Double Life of Veronique, because I mean it's well, it's his last four films, 
But um, yeah. Christoph is a really interesting filmmaker that I always wanted to get into and watch more of, but I just didn't have the time. So I'm glad that Patrick mm -hmm. chose him. So uh, today we're going to be discussing the first installment in the Three Colors Trilogy, Blue. And I'll go ahead and give you like the small amount of uh, detail that I got from the freaking pages on Wikipedia. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's the first installment in the trilogy representing the French revolutionary ideals of liberty. Of liberty. Oh, wow. I didn't finish the. Well, this is the first one. That represents yeah. the ideal of liberty. And next week, I'll tell you about the other one that's represented by white. So that's why mm -hmm. I didn't put the other ones. Um, golden Lion, it's a Golden Lion winner and Volpi Award for Best Actress for Julia Binoche. Julia Binoche? Or Binoche? I don't know. Uh, Cesare Cesar Award for Best Actress, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. It was also nominated for a Golden Glow for Best Foreign Language Film. At the time, and also Julia Binoche was nominated for best uh, best actress at the Golden Globes. Um, this film, what's it called? Um, it's a. It basically looks at a woman who gets into a car crash with her husband and her daughter, and the daughter and husband die in the car crash, and she basically takes the next couple of days to basically not just grief, but separate herself emotionally from everybody who's out in the world who's, who wants her in her life. And she separates herself and she faces the repercussions of doing that. And she, it's a very pensive look at the life of this woman who just wants to be left the fuck alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Pat, why did you choose this movie other than what you just told me right now? Um, I think I wanted an excuse to watch it again and explore it more. Uh, I had, I had bought, yeah, yeah, I'd, I had bought the, the box set, um, Criterion, and show it I up. like, yeah, I got it right here. Hold on, hold on, I got you, bro. Just, just, just hold it right there. Show it off. It's right there, bro. Look at that beautiful set. That's a beautiful set, man. For that uh, look, that's yeah. why I'm telling y'all, y'all need to be on the Patreon because if you're not in the Patreon, you're not seeing this beautiful set. Let's see, how do I poke them out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are good, bro. That's good. Yeah, you got that yeah. on the sale, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I got it on sale for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I just wanted to explore it more. Um, I begun to realize, like, I didn't realize this when I picked it but as i'm like graduating college and stuff um i'm wanting to figure out like i'm trying to figure out what i want to be creating as an artist if i want to try to be a full-time artist like right now it's a photographer um and trying to create like photo books and or have shows and trying to like get attention and get people to pay me for things or get me to pay me to create things I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I enjoy and what I want to create. And I think I'm discovering that I, I really enjoy learning about love and how people view love and um, like every different, everybody's different perspectives on it and how, um, how it brings them joy, but also how like in this movie, how it affects you when you lose your love or like whether it's breakup or death. Um, and like I said earlier, I've always loved romance movies. And so I think this just allows me to kind of study love and 
see how the great artist um, Kieslowski portrays love in, in these films. And I think so. So it's nice for me to reflect about like how I feel about these situations, but also see how someone who's like um, so good at creating the visual visual art as well um, portrays portrays love. So yeah. that's that's why I'm excited to study this and learn about it. Yeah, Kieslowski had said that you know he he didn't like making films about things that are so divisive like politics and religion and um, and things like that. He loved mm -hmm. making movies about the things that unite us as people, and those mm -hmm. are our feelings and the way and specifically the way that we show our love, because all of us are capable of showing love, and all of us yeah. are capable of feeling sadness and happiness and and uh, and, and and joy and so many different feelings. So he said that he he you know he preferred making films about that because those are the things that are unique to the human condition. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you chose it, man. Uh, you know, I don't usually like to review movies on here because that's not what the show's about. But I break it, break the rule when I get to watch movies that I think were really are really good. This one's pretty mm -hmm. damn good. I really like this movie. Yeah, uh, this movie's beautiful. I mean, it's first of all, it's just the way that we open the movie. It's just, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. The reminded opening, me, dude. Just the I was mm -hmm. watching it last night. Yeah, just the more second. Mm. Mm. The the first note that I have is beautiful opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It reminds me of like, it reminds me a lot about um, about you know the scene in Solaris when you're going through like the tunnel, and he's mm -hmm. going through the space station. Yeah. Also That's reminds good. me of the scene in Fallen Angels when he's on the motorcycle with the girl, mm -hmm. and you're just mm -hmm. going through the tunnel with them, and it's just like it's just the it's a beautiful way to open the movie. But, did um, you see? Did you see that guy that recreated that photo of which one? the Fallen Angels? So the Fallen Angels motorcycle scene. No, I didn't see it. Some, some dude on he might have like a lot of social media cloud or something. He recreated that picture, and it's a good. He did a solid job of like recreating the photo. Yeah. Like it, it looks cool. It looks very similar to the to the Wong Kar Wai still. And everybody was like freaking out about it. And I was so confused. Like it looks good, but it's like, dude, someone already made that. Like, why are you? But also what, like, makes, guess... that, what makes that special isn't the, the photo. I mean, the, the, the visual aspect. It's also like the sound design and the music that's playing throughout most of that, most of those scenes. And they're in the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's just, it's a photo. Like, it's cool. Like you re got to recreate it, but like. Yeah, you know what was what's what makes that movie what makes that scene so special is just the other aspects that go into making the movie the movie. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I um I I thought that this I thought this movie was great, and um, yeah. I wanted to. I'm glad that we we're go, we're doing the whole run through the trilogy because um, the next one stars Julie Deppi, is like one of my favorite actresses of all time. Like I loved her in the uh, in the before trilogy from Richard Linklater. I haven't seen that. Oh man, talk about romance films, bro! You yeah, didn't that. Yeah. yeah, it's been on my I mean, list. I'm sure. You, I'm sure it's probably inspired by. Yeah, Bruce. have you still not seen? Have you still not seen what's it called? Scenes from a Marriage from Bergman. Mm -mm. Bro, that's my favorite movie about love and divorce and yeah. marriage. Yeah. What is it? Scenes of marriage. Scenes from a marriage, but watch um, the theatrical version. Unless you want to watch the TV miniseries. 
Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's um, but yeah, I mean, uh, just like Patrick, I'm very interested in in romance and the way that we depict it. But I don't like you know the cheesy bullshit you, you see like in rom coms. I like, I like to, I like, I. There's a reason why in the mood for love is like one of my favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. because that's a love that hurts. That shit mm-hmm. hurts to watch, bro. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's a pain that I don't like to revisit constantly. Yeah, like, that, that shit it- hurts. And it's it's a love movie, but like, I don't think you see anybody kiss in the movie. I know there's like no. there's a sex scene, and they allude to sex a couple times. But no, there's but never you don't really any see anybody. You don't you don't see anyone kiss. No. And it's more so about how someone's experiencing love alone, as opposed yeah. to as opposed to two people, you know, finding love and yeah, all the cheesy stuff is yeah, it's unique. And I, I think another thing that's so awesome is how little she talks, but how powerful, like how much you can still feel her emotions. Yeah. So let's get ready to do this, man. And so, let's get to start our conversation on Krisa Krizlowski's Three Colors Blue. All right, Patrick, let's go ahead and get this going, man. I mean, I've got a couple of topics uh, here that I went and I, I mean, we're looking like we're getting to the 30 minute mark. So we get to start like a little bit. We'll probably go to that 40 before we go break. But um, what's it called? Um, I, I I mean, you can't you can't really talk about this movie without talking about like the main thing that it's about. Uh, because you know, for those of you who may not know, blue, white, red are the colors of the French flag. And um, you know, those three colors have specific meanings to those colors. They're the ideals that the French Revolution was found upon. And uh, the first one is liberty, but um, this movie doesn't look at liberty as like you know freedom, but more so an emotional type of liberty, because um, you know, other than instead of just staying around the town that she lived in, being around the people so they can pity her after the death of the two most people, the two people that are closest to her, she decides to just go away, leave make sure that nobody can find her and make sure that nobody can talk to her and she can live away from everybody else and meet these new people, but still not get too attached to the point that she has to discuss about what has, has made her, um, her come over here. And uh, I found that really interesting, man. You know how, I mean, I, I would say that that's something that, you know, whether when you go through a breakup or you go through a um, death in the family or somebody close to you, there is that first apparent need of being like, I really wish I was in right here. Like, I want to be away from all the people I know right now and be able to deal with this on my own before I even have to talk to anybody and explain it to anybody else. Mm-hmm. There's that need to just be separated. But uh, when when you're separated, there's, there's, um, there's a lot that you realize that, hey, you kind of do need people because, you know, it's not easy just being alone all the time. So uh, what did you think about the whole aspect of emotional liberty and what did you, what did you get out of it? Um, I, th- I think I feel it. I think I, I don't know if I would do exactly what she did, yeah. but the idea of just like giving everything she had away was really, really interesting. Cause she gave away like the house, the, house, the belongings and just moved away and it seemed like, 
yeah, emotional liberty in the sense that like she just wanted to forget everything. And like what I found interesting with that is whenever she would go and visit her mother, um, her mother was for the people who haven't seen it is like in a, she, she's older and is in like a, she has Alzheimer's. like a, yeah, yeah. is in like a nursing home or something similar. And, um, doesn't even recognize her own daughter, which is the main character, Julie. Um, and so whenever Julie comes and visits, I think the mom mistakes her as like her sister or something for a little mm-hmm. bit. And then Julie has to correct her a couple times. Yeah. And Julie doesn't ever like seem necessarily frustrated about it. And I think the first time I had watched it, I noticed I, I was kind of paying attention to what the mother was watching on the TV Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to figure out like what, what to make of it. And this time it kind of clicked with me a little bit more and this is just kind of my own interpretation, but so it's, so we have the mother watching the TV and kind of like half listening to Julie as much as she can being an old woman that has Alzheimer's. And then Julie's there like experiencing that, that situation. And on the TV is, uh, a man bungee jumping mm-hmm. and it, I felt like the TV kind of represented like Julie's subconscious of like that idea of not having memories anymore and forgetting all these things. Like she's kind of jealous of that, um, that freedom. And so I think the bungee jumping kind of represented just like that idea of like being open and free and being able to just like experience in some way, experience maybe the unknown, um, and yeah, it, it was like, yeah, it was kind of tough to see Julie like constantly trying to like get away from everything and then getting, getting away from those past memories. But then um, like the, the boy who witnessed the car crash came to her and as, as she's trying to get away, he, he somehow found her through like her doctor or something or yeah. And, and gave her like an old necklace that he found at the, at the car crash. And then like he run, she also goes and seeks um, uh, the, the uh, her husband's uh, mistress. And it turns out that she's like pregnant with, um, yeah. with her husband's uh, child. And like, it's like, she's trying to get away, but then these things creep up again and it's it's really sad to try to see her like find that liberty but and and it seems like like back before what i was saying she's like envious of her mother who has alzheimer's and she wishes she could get rid of these memories and these connections but something's pulling her back and i guess that's that's also interesting with the with the bungee jumping is like yeah. you know she wishes she could be free but at the same time like she's going to bounce back and something's yeah. going to pull her back yeah you're always going to get pulled back you know, unless something mm-hmm. goes wrong and the bungee cord, what's it called, breaks and you die. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. you're always going to end up coming back. You're always going to get right. pulled back. And then that, and that's the things. Like, you know, even even as she see, she starts seeing Olivier and sleeps with him. She refuses the necklace. She mm-hmm. doesn't visit her mother anymore. Like, even with all that, she still is being reminded somehow about her life that she had before like mm-hmm. you know, when she's with when she's with the um the exotic dancer who lives on the floor behind behind uh, on the bottom of her 
she talks about how she felt embarrassed that her father came to the um to the to the strip club and she didn't want to go out there so she called mm. her to come mm. and help her out and um you know and, and that's a very that's like that's a motherly thing that he did she did for her mm. you know? so in a way mm. she, she still it mm. doesn't even matter who she meets she will still be reminded about the life that she lived before you know leaving everything behind you know even mm. even if we can even if it's you know it's like it's like films like what um like films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, what all those, you know, trying to discuss about, like, even if we can erase everything that's happened to us, even if we can find a way to cut all connections with what has happened, we still are somehow brought back to it because mm -hmm. that's life. Such is life. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the brain works. That's how the brain works, man. You know, you can, um, you, can you can pick up your bags, you can go to the mountains in, um, in, God knows where and live there isolated for so long, but your brain will still have a method of reminding you that, Hey, you went through this, through this shit. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. You bring up like the, when she goes and visits the exotic dancer. Cause like, even in that place where you feel like it's a, it's a completely different world than she's lived in that she's yeah. lived in the rest of the time. Cause other than that, she's just in the city and in cafes and in her home and swimming. swimming in her apartment. And then when she goes into a new space, she's still reminded of herself, both like the maternal side, but also like she sees herself on the TV, mm -hmm. which is probably like the last place that she would expect to be reminded of things as yeah. a, an exotic um, like dance bar or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, the strip club, man. Yeah, it's just strip, you know, yeah, strip club. Yeah. It's a strip club. <laughs> yeah. What's it called? That's the last place you think, but she, she's there and you know, and what what I found first of all, like what I first found, it was like you know, um, I just also there's a really interesting thing about like how just the pressure that is also put on women uh, to answer for these things, like you know, not like and it's not not in the sense that then we're saying that it doesn't you know it's not given there's not given that much pressure to men, but in the same sense, like there's a there's this big pressure placed upon Julie throughout this whole film. And it's like you know the guy, the, she barely gets out of the what's it called of the of the hospital. They barely have the funeral, and she already has people coming over to ask questions, like interviews and stuff. And it's like you know instead of her letting her actually you know live like what's it called live and being able to go through the grieving process, like she's just what's it called um she's just right off the bat what's it called asked about everything and you know why why did you write your husband's music you know why did you what's it called the where, where what's gonna happen now are you gonna finish the mm -hmm. score that you were doing it's like those aren't questions you would ask men like come on like you that's, that's not what you would ask a man and, and if you if, if any of y'all are out there saying like no no they would like no look at it man really look at it and look at past yeah. examples like that's not what a man would get asked yeah yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and that's once again, that's and, and I understand in that sense, like I understand why Julie would get the hell out of that town. Yeah. And why she would not want to be around anybody like just constantly have to be asked or like one of my favorite parts of the film is actually when she's with her mother and during the funeral and she goes and she's like, why are you crying? And she tells her because you haven't. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was her maid or like her maid. House. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was like her uh, house house 
caregiver or something. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. She asked him like, yeah. she's crying in the corner and she's like, why mm-hmm. are you crying? He goes, because you haven't. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, because throughout this film, you only see Julie cry twice. Mm. Yeah. When are the two times? One's at the very end. One's in the beginning when she, uh, when, when they tell her the news that her, um, that her daughter and her her, her husband died in the crash, okay. and then and the second time is at the end when she's hearing the music, the composed, the composed, the composer, the composed okay. music. Um, okay. And yeah, man, I I just uh, you know, and of course, you know, not ju- it's not just represented through just the whole idea of emotional liberty, but just you know, of course, we're gonna talk about you know the color, um, you know, the music being used in the film, also the odd use of fade outs when you're not even mm-hmm. passing by time, but like mm-hmm. one of the main things that you have to discuss here is just how this, how this woman just feels like she feels uh, overwhelmed by not just what happened to her, but like everybody who wants to somehow, you know, have her get back to work, have her explain and talk about what she went through. Like, as if it doesn't hurt her having to talk about it and, and on the, and, and in the, and in the same time, have to look at her mother die, die from a uh, from a debilitating disease that makes her forget who she, her daughter even is. It's like it's a lot to ask from somebody who's just lost pretty much everything. Yeah, she's in a heavy situation for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we're gonna go to break. And when we come back, okay. we're gonna continue on our discussion and uh, just enjoy these words from our uh, sister shows here at the Nerdcore Podcast Network. So um, we'll see you guys after the break. Hey, I'm Raul Ando Mendoza, and this is... Jabril Newton. And we are the hosts of High Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, pro wrestling has come back to the NerdCore podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about, it is from AEW... To SmackDown, to Raw, to NXT, nothing's off the table. We can talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www.patreon.com slash the nerdcore and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Square Circle. Don't tap out. Tune in. Tune in. Hello, 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 guys and gals, and you're listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. I am your host, Daniela Nunez, and along with my amazing co-host, Ashley Garcia, we discuss many things like social impact, pop culture, political realms, and any controversy surrounding the nerdverse. Tune in and listen to us bi-weekly on the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we will love to chat and hear your thoughts on our wonderful show. And thank you again for listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. Hey, everyone. My name is Raul. And I am the host of The Impert Files. The Impert Files is an interview show brought to you every Thursday on the Nerdcore podcast feed. And I interview people such as filmmakers, content creators on YouTube, and podcasters like Colton Geschwander. And if you want to listen to that early, a whole week early, all you got to do is go to the Patreon and pledge to the $1 tier. And if you want to listen to it with the general public, then go to Nerdcore podcast feed on anchor.fm slash the nerdcore. And the case is closed, but it's not classified. See you guys there. Hey, it's Ashley from the Gamer Core. 
You may remember me from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Money Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co-hosts Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is a next-gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the Gamer Core podcast, everywhere where podcasts are. Hey guys, this is Brad, a.k.a. Young Yoda. Raul said I had to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's supposed to be for Unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere when it comes to this podcast feed. You can find me on the Nerd Cores, on Gamer Cores, on Nerdy Chicanos sometimes when I get lost. Uh, I mean, but for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out Unstructured. The role gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday, vaping, uh, so many other freaking weird topics that uh, chimichangas, that's a good one. Uh, shout out to Deadpool. And yeah, I, I guess this is the end of the ad. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I love you all. And nerd up. Everyone, I'm Raul. And I'm Brad. And we're the hosts of the Nerd Corp Podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd. Not on this ad, right? And we come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news. That's the box office, the news of the week, and your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review. And on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review, usually movies that have come out in the week or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brad? Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen. We're the flagship show of the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And Brad? Young Yoda out. Welcome back to the Cinema Condition. Today we are uh, discussing Three Colors Blue, and we're coming back to our conversation on Three Colors Blue. As always, I thank you all for sticking with us after the break, if you're still listening to us here. And I want to say thank you all to so, thank you all so much who have been giving us so much love on Season 2 of The Cinema Condition. It's been a lot of fun. We've had some new guests. We've had some old guests come back. Today we have an old guest. But I want to thank, thank you all so much for giving up all the love. If you want to listen to more of those shows, you know where to go. You go to anchor.fm slash the nerd course urps and if you want to listen to this show you got to be on anchor.fm slash the cinema condition but also you know go over to the apple podcast page for both the nerd core and the cinema condition drop a five-star review because it helps us out a lot and also if you're a patron at the dollar tier and above you get this episode a week early before anybody else gets to listen to it and also you get it you get the video version. So you get to see me, you get to see Brad, you get to Brad, you get to see Pat's, uh, Pat's face. You get to see the, the, you know, the, 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 um, criterion set that he was showing off a while ago. Uh, so if you want to get all that, you go to patreon.com slash nerd course, URPS, and you pledge to the $1 tier and above, and you get early access to a lot of cool stuff. So with that said, 
Let's go ahead and get back into our conversation on Krzysztof Krzysztof's Three Colors Blue. Patrick, uh, we're back from break, bro. We got mm-hmm. that going on. So um, let's go ahead and get back into this, dude. I mean, you know, what's it called? Um, we kind of already talked about the emotion. We were talking about the emotion of liberty. We talked about the whole grief and loss part of it all. But, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about – I want to talk mostly about the technical aspects here that we don't get to really talk about all that much. I want to talk about the music. I want to talk about the color. And I want to talk about specifically the way that time, but emotional time is represented within, within the fade outs that are used in this. Mm-hmm. movie. Cause that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Usually for those of you who don't know what a fade out is, it's when literally the picture fades out and then you fade back in to another picture. Usually that represents a change in time, but within this film, it's not really used for that. We have various aspects, various examples in this film where the picture kind of fades out, but it comes back to the same picture. Um, specifically, I'm remembering when she met with the boy who gave her the necklace. She gives her a necklace and the, the picture fades out. And it kind of fades back into her just still there with the boy. Um, I wanted to know, what, do you, what did you think about that? What what is specifically what is your interpretation of that? Because I, I I have an idea of what that is. For me, I mean, I think there could be a deeper meaning, but the way that I interpret it is similar to my own experiences when I'm having like a very intimate moment with someone, whether it's just like someone I really appreciate and we're having great conversation and uh it's just like a great moment and conversations flowing and we're enjoying each other's company. And I feel like sometimes there's moments where I just like, not necessarily black out, but I just kind of like fade into this, like I'm accepting like everything that you're saying, I'm accepting this energy, this love, whatever it is. And we're just like, I'm just happy. I'm just there. And so I kind of interpret it in the same way, but I think she is a little, uh, it's it's more of a somber um, yeah. blackout than than for me what what I what I described. I think that she's like just kind of getting in her own head and um, just kind of fading away and experiencing. Um, and yeah, like I said, like yeah, getting in her own head and um, it's like she's still in the moment. Like you said, time is not passing. She's still in the moment, but it's almost like nothing's really happening. She's just, she's just fading into <laughs> oblivion or, or whatever it is and into her brain, into her like spiritual mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I do agree that it's kind of like, and were you going to say something else? Uh, oh, I was going to say as like a part of the whole memory thing, I, I remembered, I wanted to mention this one line. Um, and I think this kind of goes along with, with the blackout thing when she's speaking to her mother, I wrote this down cause I really like this line. And it was funny cause it was right as I was thinking like about the bungee cord thing and how she just like wants to let go and probably jump away, be free of all these memories. I had paused it and I'd, I'd written down that idea of the bungee cord. And then right after that, I played it and she says, I want no possessions, no memories, no friends, no lovers. They're all traps. And I, I feel like, her getting into that space is that 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 fate is is her getting into that space where maybe she's like 
maybe wishing that all that is gone and imagining like just trying to get into that, that headspace where like everything is gone and imagining if that didn't exist. Um, In a sense, an imagination of death, don't you think? Like I can see that. Yeah. It fades out. The screen is black. There's nothing Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. That's her way of thinking like, so this is what it would feel to not hear Mm -hmm. anything for it to be dark and not have to feel anything. This is literally what it is. I mean, that's, that's a, that's an, that's an interesting way to kind of put it. You know, I do agree. It's her getting in her head. I think that those are mostly the instances of her getting pulled back into the life, into her life. Like those are the moments where she's like, Oh, it's happening. They're going to get me Mm -hmm. back into this and I don't want to talk about it, but Mm -hmm. she, we fade back in and she still somehow finds a way to, to, to leave it all. Like, no, mm-hmm. like with the boy, mm-hmm. we fade back, we fade out, we fade back in. And she says, you found it, you keep it. You know, yeah. there, there's an ideal that I've lived with for a while now. He goes, the ones who is to find it is the one who keeps it. And she, mm-hmm. and she leaves. And then just as like, once again, that's a really interesting scene that you use because just as you think, you know, that you're, that she's done. Olivier comes in and he's like, Oh no. What's it called? Here's the other guy. What's it called? Yeah. Still somehow. And you see her face as like she's like, well, once again, this shit, right? Like, uh, left yeah. alone. But like, she's once again finding a way to get pulled back. And then later again, we see another fade out. Mm-hmm. I think we see a fade out in the, um, um, in the exotic bar as well. The exotic dancing bar. Um, okay. But there's just like, they're, they're not, there's not a sense of representing time passing mm-hmm. so you know a representation of um of what's it called um, of of her of her emotions coming back up like she's done a really good job so far of not having to interact with anybody and not having anything have to be brought up anymore mm-hmm. but once these little instances where people are coming back in and she goes to see her daughter her, her, her mother Things are getting put back in, and she's once again going back into her mind, so that way she can what's it called? Um, she can pull herself back out because she's being pulled in. So let's pull herself out so she doesn't have to deal with this again. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, yeah, I I I think I I just think about like it feels like very heavy emotional a very heavy emotional response. And I think that's, that goes along with something that I like so much about this movie is how Kieslowski like is able to portray her emotions so well. And we get to know her so well, both through like her actions and um, what she says, but also like what she doesn't say. And just like how she just sits there and experiences moments. Like when I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is when, and I think she blacks out or, it fades to black at this point too, when she gets locked out of her room and she's just sitting on the staircase and she sees like the, the blue lights kind of come up again. And then I think it, it might fade to black there, but it seems like this just intense emotional experience where she's not like consciously thinking about anything. It's just like, Whoa, here's this, the shit again. And yeah. whether it's her departing from, from those memories and hoping that, you know, she's finding that Liberty or the opposite that um, she's getting back into it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh man, 
here, here's these poor memories again that I'm trying to, to find liberty from. I'm not sure, but um, it definitely feels like a, like an intense emotional response, maybe not intense, but an emotional response that like, she doesn't seem to have a whole lot of control over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the color is another really interesting part, you know, I mean, you know, blue is a very, you know, poignant color. It's very colorful. It's, it's a happy color. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's usually a really happy color. It's, it's dark. Oh, you see, you see it as happy? A blue? Yeah. I mean, it's a, like the blue that's represented in here, at least like how colorful it is. Like how, how, like, like mm -hmm. I'm guessing I, I mean, like, I don't have a criterion, what's it called, the release. So I don't uh, know what this new transfer looks like. Uh, but the version I watched on HBO Max, that uh, color looked a lot like very, it looked very it, it lighted. But blue mm -hmm. is also a very sad color. Mm -hmm. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, it's early in the, in the things. When, what do you say when you're feeling sad? Oh, I'm blue today. I'm feeling blue. Right. You know, right. you know, I'm, I'm playing the blues because the blues are sad songs. Yes. You know. But um, in in and somehow you know I so she I'm guessing blue was the color of her daughter's room. Yep. yep. Yeah, and she you know she tries to like break everything that has blue in her old house because it reminds her of her daughter, and then she moves into this new apartment, and there's still blue. And throughout yep. this film, there's blue everywhere. There's blue in the pool. There's blue. On the street, in the in the buildings, there's blue literally everywhere. Mm -hmm. You can't escape the what's it called the whole uh, the whole the color itself, and in yeah. a way, that's once again she can't escape her daughter's death. Mm -hmm. No matter where you go, you will be reminded of your daughter's death. What did yeah. you think that the What did you think that the blue uh, signified? So, um, one thing I learned was well, maybe they they don't know this for sure, but someone was talking about the, the colors for this film and they were saying how, yeah, like colors usually have these uh, connotations to different emotions. So like mm -hmm. red can be very passionate and romantic and white can kind of represent purity or some type of like equality or peace and, and blue, like you said, it can represent happiness to you or sad sadness or, being like uh, it can also like be in like scary movies because it could be like a dull color and maybe like nighttime blue reflecting off the moon or just the night sky. Um, and they were, they were expressing that they felt like blue was chosen for Julie because of all these different crazy emotions that she's experiencing where she's finding her freedom, but then all of a sudden she's caught up and um mm she's caught up in her memories that she's trying to escape from. And then um, there are even some kind of scary moments, like at the beginning um, she's, I think she's playing the piano at the like mansion that they owned or big house that they owned. And like the, um, the like top or cap, I don't know what it's called of the piano, like slams down. Oh yeah. And then, and then I think blue like reflects in her face yeah, and that moment, I feel like if you didn't know about this movie, you could almost think it's going to go down like a horror path. Yeah, um, which also I guess the other like the other instance where, um, <laughs> sorry for interrupting you, but the no, other instance uh, when she's on the couch, and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, like blue just pours in, and she's mm -hmm. like bonjour, bonjour, 
you know, she's like, somebody's here. And then the reporter comes in to try to ask her questions. Right. Yeah. But yeah, like, there's a couple moments where like you can definitely see this going down like a horror movie path. Um, and so, yeah, it seems like blue was used because it can have so many different meanings. And it's it's like Julie is going down this path where she's trying to understand where she wants to be. And she's having so many different emotional responses that you don't really know how she's feeling. Well, I mean, I think you know how she's feeling, but you're like discovering as she goes, you know, there's not like a certain path that she's going down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. And um, just once again, and also it's a very blue is a very, um, I don't want to say childish, but usually what we usually have what blue represent is when like blue and pink are ones, yeah. for, ones for girl, right. What's going right. To, to announce the coming of a child and what their gender is going to be. Right. Uh, it's called, so blue is a very childlike color. It's a color that, you know, it's, it's usually aligned with children. And in a way, that's yeah. also to me what it's kind of representing here. But, you know, it's just, it's also just, it's all the emotions kind of all up. And it's like, it's all pouring in. It's like, you know, she, she goes back to her, to her apartment where nobody gets to talk to her and stuff. And that's where she's completely alone with her thoughts. And she tries to, what's it called, uh, fill up the room with a lot of decorations and stuff. But there's still that blue chandelier, right? You know, there's still that lingering, lingering presence mm. of the life she lived before, and her mm. emotions not being processed correctly. You know, it's mm. it's a it's a constant reminder of the grief that she hasn't processed yet. Yeah, that blue chandelier is beautiful. Yeah, the reflections, exactly. the reflections it makes, but even just the beads themselves. Yeah, very beautiful. And yeah, that was that was something that she took from her daughter's room. So brings back all sorts of memories, but even specifically her her daughter. Yeah. And then when she's of course when she's you know swimming, you know, everything's blue yeah. in there. Mm -hmm. You know, even at night. Yeah. I mean, look at the look at the background that's on our on our what's it called? Um on, on the video version. It's just it's mm -hmm. at night and the whole pool is blue. Right. And you know, there's another instance where she's like swimming and she's no, she talks some where she um she talks about the mice, right? The you know the the rats. And she mm. once again we're being pulled back into her life before, you know when she was a child, and she's like, she she goes back to this very prim, prim, primal way of, of of childlike wonder, where she was like, when she goes to ask her mom like, was I afraid of mice when I was a kid? And mm. um, she's like, she says yes, but she doesn't say yes that you were afraid. She was like, no. She's like, she thinks that she's talking to her sister. And she says, no, it was Julie who was afraid of mice. Yeah. And so she grabs the cat from the, uh, from the, um, the landlord to try to kill the mice. But then she doesn't have the, what's it called? Um, she doesn't have the willpower to clean up after the, the dead mice. Mm -hmm. she, doesn't, she doesn't have the power to confront mortality again. Uh -huh. she, uh -huh. So she, she gets somebody to do it for her, but they're at the pool she she's she's met with comfort from the exotic dancer mm -hmm. and she's told that everything's gonna be okay like you know somebody can do it for you you're gonna be fine there's no need to like you know what's it called be all bent out of shape over this and then kids come in and yep. also a bunch of kids in white when in, in a white bathing suit and red uh what's it called floaties mm. yeah yep. yeah yeah so that and she yeah. she got to that she went or chose that apartment because they're there were no kids there. 
Yeah. And so I don't know where those kids came from. I don't know if it was like a field trip or what, but probably yeah. I'm sure that was frustrating for her. Yeah. And and she it's it's still yet she's in this place and there's still and I there's still that lingering presence of her her daughter. Yeah. And um so yeah, you know, the, the the blue I think represents a lot of things, but it mostly represents, you know, the, the, the lingering presence of what we what we feel is the emotional liberty from this woman, but it's still not. It's not there. There's, you're not you're not truly free, because in a way, you know, in a way, are is is anyone ever truly free? Because you know, the the what's it called the brain? Their brain doesn't care how much you try. Like the brain mm-hmm. will remind you, you know the yep. the body the body will remind you uh, about everything. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you've tried everything suppress it or you've tried to you know work through it. There will still be moments where the body reminds you about what it is that you're going through. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, mm-hmm. you're not really free. You know, you, you, we wish that we were, but we, we you weren't. There is a line from the, one of the video essays that's a part of the supplements on the criterion. And uh, <laughs> there you go. Show it up. I meant, I meant to write it down, but the lady was talking about how, like, um, it seems like, throughout our lives, you know, we're searching for freedom in some way, but we're also searching for love a lot of the time. And she was talking about like, how can we be free, but also be giving our heart to someone and our our deepest emotions and vulnerability to someone. Um, And then at the end, she kind of concludes with talking about how freedom can be found in like liberty in yourself, but also like vulnerability or something with, with a partner. Um, she said it really well. I, f- I forgot what she said, but it was, it was some interesting points. I want to rewatch it cause she did a good job. Um, yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, it's like we, we, we give our heart and our life to these people who we feel like are a big part of our, of our time and our, and our, and in our, uh, in our progression as humans. And then it's ripped away from us and we feel like we can't, fathom the idea of having to confront that and mm-hmm. that it's easier to just lock it up in a box and put it away mm-hmm. another thing that i liked about the colors it i especially noticed this at the beginning because I, I watched this in habs i watched half of it last night and then half of it this morning yeah. um but it seemed like and i guess this goes along with the editing but um I noticed a lot of the time they would, when they would have these really blue saturated scenes, they would, when it would cut to a new scene, the new scene would be like very gold, which is like the complimentary. I think orange is the direct complimentary, but yellow is, is somewhere in there on the complimentary mm-hmm. side of blue um, on the color wheel. And it, it always seemed like my eyes like got to rest for a second. Cause it was so saturated with this blue and it was very interesting because the the gold would just want me because I think it might have been a scene where she was like uh, maybe it was after the piano or she was like looking at the beads or something and there's all this blue going on and then it cuts to her like going around the house and I think it was like maybe it was golden hour or, or something but like the walls were were painted in like a soft yellow and yeah. like the arches were like a darker brown and i think the sun coming in just like gave it this gold overwash and i was like wow that's that's really smart editing cuz it wasn't it wasn't super stark it's not like it was blue saturated and then mm-hmm. gold saturated it was like a very soft gold and it seemed to give your eyes a rest and 
and it, it allowed the, the blue to be like emphasized in some way. Yeah. So then the final thing that I had to talk about was the whole representation of music throughout this film. You know, mm -hmm. Julie is a composer. She composed the music for her husband and um, they, 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 she left a part, she left an incomplete uh, score that was called the unification of, of Europe. Um, and, and, and in a sense, you know, it's a unification of, of everybody who was, you know, who was making music together in Europe. And, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's so smart to represent this idea of unification through music because music is probably one of the most unifying aspects. Like, you know, you can meet somebody who speaks a completely different language than you doesn't mm -hmm. understand anything you've ever been through, but you like a song or you like a band or you like an mm -hmm. artist and you'll automatically be like, there's one thing that that you'll, you'll yeah. automatically have something that both of you can relate to, but right. also music in a sense is a very, what's it called? Complementary thing. Everything works together to unify and create one specific sound. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a very unified sound that creates a song and like, you know, Throughout it, Julie, it's like, this is her way of like, not, this is her way of not wanting to complete the work because the other person who would be there to complete the work isn't there anymore. Right. You know, she, she, she can't complete it on her own. She needs her husband to do it. She needs her, you know, she needs, she needs her husband to be there to help her because she's the one, he, he's the one who would give her the inspiration to keep writing the music. And mm -hmm. uh, when Olivier in, finds the missing parts, because he got it from Patrice's um, lover, you know, that's like, you have to confront the fact that, and it's fine. And it's interesting because the, the mistress says it's sad because now you'll hate me and you'll hate him. But mm -hmm. he wasn't really talking about, he was talking about what's it called? Um, Patrice, but he was also, she was also talking about her, her unborn child. You know, mm -hmm. like you're going to hate him now because he's, He's, he's her, he's her, he's, he's his bastard son. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. And, um, you know, this, this, the last thing that the, one of the most beautiful, what's it called? Purest things you can find in the world has to lead Julie to confront the fact that her husband cheated on her Yeah, and had another, and had a child that he didn't know about with another woman. And in a way, having to finally have to confront the confront um, all the pain and the pain and the emotions that she was going through prior to all this, the, all the prior to having to confront uh, the mistress. Mm. Yeah. Plus, the music is beautiful. Yeah, the music's wild. I yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, and I wanna I wanna watch it again and maybe pay a little more attention to this, but it's obvious that this is like shot from Julie's point of view. Cause we follow her and it, it gets so deep into her emotions. But I wonder like if at some moments it almost gets to the point of like shutter Island where like <laughs> you can't really, cause it's told from, you know, like Leo's point of view and it turns out that he's crazy. Have you seen it? Shutter Island. Yeah. No, yeah, I've yeah. never seen it, but I've had it spoiled like a thousand times. Oh, okay. So, like you really can't tell me something that has that I haven't heard of. Right. I'm sure there's other movies, but that's the first one that comes to mind where you can't really you don't know if you can trust the person that you're following and their point of view because of the emotional distress that they're going to going through. 
And I feel like the music helps like emphasize how much a part of like the narrative is or how, how, how tight it is into like her emotional um, experiences because like you, you experience the music a lot of the times when Julie is experiencing something very intense. So like when she's throwing away the, um, the, like one of the pieces that her and her husband had wrote the, she has it in her hands and the music's playing and yeah, the music's just so beautiful. <laughs> and then she throws it in the, the um, garbage truck and you see it crashing and crunching. And during that, uh, yeah. yeah. What's that? But it doesn't get ripped. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean like it, it gets crunched up and I, uh -huh. and you would think that when it gets put through the contraption like that, it would get ripped apart. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't get ripped. True. It just folds. Yeah. Um, but what I thought was so interesting is like it, the music like slows and distorts as yeah. it's getting crunched. And then like you, whenever she like puts her fingers and is writing the music, you experience the music as she's like hovering over it with her fingers. Yeah. And I, I really like how, or the, at least the idea of the music, um, like being in her head and us like being even more deeply connected to her and her emotions and this narrative being told from her point of view. I think the music really helps portray that. I, I wish that I had the lyrics to the song here because of uh, I, what's it called? The, the specific songs, like I, it was given like this kind of like a feeling of letting go. I finally mm -hmm. letting go and it's like in a sense that that's the cathartic moment like usually you think the climax is the catharsis in here and the fact that that um the climax basically is that where you find out that patrice had a uh, what's it called a, a lover but to mm -hmm. me the, the cathartic moment here is the final is that final sequence you know mm -hmm. her her finishing the last work left by her husband mm -hmm. and she's writing she, and also you can tell you see that she's writing in blue pen blue marker or whatever it is yeah blue plan but you know that that final sequence she's it's cathartic man she's she's letting go she finished the la last work that was left from her husband after this moment on she can go on the on she can embark on the journey of finally being able to process her, her this death and and being able to move past it while mm -hmm. also having to come to terms with the fact that her husband wasn't the man that she thought he was Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. and, and she finally cries, and she lets out all that emotion because it's it's finally it's allowing her to finally move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and something else that I had learned about this movie that some of these people that wrote essays about that it had talked about was like the use of um, windows. Yeah, um, which I feel like I noticed but didn't really acknowledge but it was talking about like the duality of, of um, freedom and liberty with the window where like, if, if you're in a home and you're looking out into the world that that's kind of freeing because you're seeing so much and what's out there and what can be experienced. But at the same time, if you're looking at someone through a window, you could see them as like being locked in, in, in a space and not being able to escape and, um, everything outside the window is something that they don't have the ability to experience. And I think the end, um, she's like, she's making love with, uh, 
Olive, Olivier, is that how you say it? Olivier, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're like pressed up against the window and um, seems like, you know, she's almost like experiencing that, that freedom or liberty in some sense. And then the very end, she's looking through a window again and crying. And like you said, she's finished the piece. Um, she has like had some emotional experience with Olivier and um, then she's, she's crying. And then there's this really nice, like, um, wash of blue where like I think the sun is rising a little bit and it's it's like maybe the morning blue um coming up and it it creeps in in the in the frame and it's really nice and um yeah yeah I thought that idea of like a window being both like it can be freeing because it allows you to see the mm -hmm. world and view view out into the world and experience it in some way but it can also be seen as you being trapped behind this glass. Um, I, Here, I found the, I found the, what's it called? The lyrics. Um, if with okay. the tongues of men, I speak and of angels love, I do not have, I have become a gong resounding or symbol clanging. And if I have the gift of prophecy and no mysteries, all faith mountains move love. I do not have nothing. I am love is generous, virtuous. Love does not envy boast. Not proud is, all she protects, all she trusts, all she hopes, all she preserves. Love never fails. Be it, be it prophecies, they will cease. Be it tongues, they will be stilled. Be it knowledge, it will cease. So remain faith, hope, and love. These three, but mm. the greatest of these is love. Yeah. Mm. It's throughout. Yeah, it's like she completed, but she'll, she'll never forget the love she has for her husband. She'll never. And the love she has, not just for her husband, but her daughter. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even though everything that's happened, she, she, she still loves, she still loves those two and she misses them every day. But now after this, she can finally move on and she won't forget about it. She won't, she won't, but it'll be easier to cope with the fact that they're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, one thing I, I discovered is the score was made before the movie was shot. That's interesting. Usually you make it the score after the movie shot. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Also, these these movies, these three movies, were shot between September of ninety two and May of ninety three. Wow! So that's August, September, October, November, December. Were they all shot back to back to back? So ten ten months, three these three movies were shot. <laughs> yeah, and then I think uh, in September of ninety three is when Blue was, um, yeah, like Release. shown. Yeah. yeah and then of course you um you it's a brief moment if you don't catch it you don't see it. There's a moment in here where you see um Julie Deppy's um husband that she's going to um divorce in white in the film. Mm, so okay. it's teasing you about white. Um mm -hmm. yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to bring up or we can we uh can we wrap it up? Somehow it doesn't matter how many, how much, how much, how many time we spend apart. We always end up making these episodes long, dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh man, the macro shots. That's the reason I like yeah. macro shots. Is this movie? We get really um, close, bro. We get really yeah. up and personal, dude. Yeah, I want to so bad. Every every short film, anything I've ever worked on. 
I want to be able to do an eyeball reflection like they do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to figure out how to do that. And yeah, cause it's, it's so nice and it's so powerful. Uh, they do it once at the beginning, like as she, as she's discovering that her family had passed away and she's like waking up from a coma or whatever, Yeah, whatever she was experiencing after the car crash. And then I think at the end, we see the reflection of her in Olivier's eyes yeah. after they uh, have sex, made love. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those man, those macros. Yeah, I and love the, that. I love that shot of the when she's in the ref, he's in the ref, she's in the reflection of the eye, and she you just see her bare back and her head and mm-hmm. her hair. It's like yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, but uh, I I also uh, heard that they would sometimes like put blue gels like on actually on the camera. <laughs> I think I bet that's what they did for these pool scenes. Cause it's so, yeah. so good. It's like, especially the one that's our background, right? Like I right. feel like that is definitely the lens being covered in a blue gel. Yeah. Which, you it's, know, it's an interesting, what's it called? Um, it's an, it's also, it's interesting and it's also cheap because you don't yeah. have to buy a filter. You just have right. to like, you be like, hey, just keep the what's it called the lens closed, like keep it still. Here's the jail. Let's just leave it like that. When I when I when I was watching it yesterday, I thought that they had just done like a weird process to the film. Yeah, the negatives, right? Yeah, I, th- I thought that they had like maybe developed it in a weird way where it just gave it a cooler tone and made it more blue. But yeah, no, they slapped they slapped some blue gels in the camera. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I just think that throughout this whole film, like, yes, it's a story about a woman who just wants to be left alone, but like, it's a story of a woman who, who doesn't need to be left alone. Like, even throughout all this, even though we need, we want to just be out of this, out of everyone's hair, we want to just be away from everything. We don't want to feel. It's better to feel than to not feel, because then we can truly confront what is the source of our pain and what we can do to move on from our pain. True. Yeah. Well said. So that concludes. That sounds our, like a good outro. Yeah. <laughs> that concludes our discussion on Three Colors Blue. And we'll be back next week as we continue on with Three Colors White. Yes, and, sir. Uh, as always, I want to thank you all so much for listening and being here. I want to thank the patrons who make the shows possible, but specifically want to thank them for making this. Uh, I want to thank them for. I want to thank y'all, all of y'all, for giving us the love that we, we've been getting because we've been getting a good amount of love on these episodes. So I thank you all so much for that, and it means a lot. Uh, Pat, you're going to be back next week, but fuck it. Let, let her know where they can find you. Uh, so you can find me at Pat G Picks, um on Instagram, and then I also got uh, PatGPicks.com. Yeah. Um, I got – Got a few projects going on, but my newest one is it's called Get to Know Us. It's a self-portrait project, but I plan on it being a lot more. Um, but right now it's a self-portrait project exploring my growth. And um, it's I, I call it a collaborative exploration of growth dedica- dedicated to supporting artists. So um, it's going to be about me and my, my career and trying to find myself and where I belong in this world while simultaneously collaborating with other artists and um, doing things like this just to, to learn more about ourselves and the world that we live in. So yeah, check it out. Patgpix.com. Patgpix.com, man. And as always, you can find me at the nerd. You on both Instagram and Twitter, youtube.com 
go and search up my name, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. You find my YouTube channel, and you then you subscribe, and then you get me to 100 subscribers, and then I get a custom URL where I no longer have to make my ad this long. Please. Because <laughs> then you could just say, I could just say the Nerd Chicano on everywhere. Because guess uh-huh. what? You can find me also on twitch.tv slash the Nerd Chicano. On Mondays, I do Between the Frames where we talk about a movie. And we talk about, you know, we review it, but we also talk a little bit about what the movie's what trying to say. And we on on Wednesdays, we do the Nerd Chicano Live at 1 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, Central Daylight Time. I don't fucking know, Central Time. Um, you know, we, we have a guest every week coming on to talk about their lives and also a topic that we want to knock out. And every now and then on a Friday, I do a special stream looking at a Criterion set. I'm making my way through my uh, Fellini set, so that's going to be the next one. God knows when nice. I'll finish that, but I'll be I'll I'll be doing it. How so, many movies are in that one? Fourteen. Wow. Films. Wow. Newly restored. I can't wait to steal it. From you. Yep. No, you're not steal shit. Um, but yeah, man, I want to thank you all so much, and we will see you all next week when we discuss Three Colors White with the same guest. With that said, I don't really have an outro, but I ask of you all to take care of yourself, stay safe, and remember that you are loved, and sit back, relax, watch a movie. Either way, we'll see you guys next week. You don't want to say goodbye, Pratt? Oh, (laughs) peace. Bye. See you guys next week. Bye.